So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would please speak to us through that passage of Scripture and help us to know how it applies to our lives. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as uh, many of you know, my wife writes fiction, and in fact, she has an, an amazing new book coming out in May. You definitely should buy it. And yes, that's exactly what it sounds like. It was a plug. But for every good uh, uh, book a writer produces, there are always some false starts. And one of the books my wife started but abandoned was based on the 50s movie uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes about uh, uh, younger women who go on a cruise looking for rich older men. Only my wife's book was going to reverse that because she found out that there are these things called cougar cruises. This is true. A cougar cruise is made up of young guys in their 20s and middle-aged women and to, you know, to foster romance between the young guys and the, the older women. So my wife was going to write a comedy about this, and she had a great title picked out for it, The Old Woman in the Sea. <laughs> sort of a play on Hemingway's book, right? I thought it was an awesome premise until one day I was sharing it with a friend and he said, cougar cruise, huh? How's she going to do the research on that? Oh, so I was a little bit relieved when she abandoned it because it wasn't working and she figured it was just kind of fruitless. That story has almost nothing to do with this sermon. I just wanted to plug my wife's book and I think I did that rather well. So there are things though that we do put a lot of energy, a lot of time into that ultimately prove fruitless even if they look good at first. So there's a kind of a connection, right, to that story. And the point is those things need to die if we are ever going to experience rich, abundant life. And that's what's going on in the story, the weird story we read today, where on Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. First thing he does is tosses the money changers out of the temple. And then he zaps this poor fig tree because it's all leaf and no fruit and the thing dies. Like, what did the fig tree do wrong? Right? Like, why does he get zapped, right? And, and then, and, is Jesus just frustrated here? Is this sort of the divine equivalent of coming home after a bad day and kicking the cat? I mean, what's up with that? And then he says this very strange thing. If you have enough faith, you can tell a mountain to jump into the sea and it will happen. Well, I can't even tell my kids to clean their room and have it happen. So what's up with that? Well, I think the point of this story is actually that Jesus comes to give us new life, abundant life, adventure, courage, joy. But in order to do that, sometimes he has to get rid of things that are taken up of a lot of energy but aren't yielding any fruit. It's like the tomato plants I grow every summer. I, I know, this will relate. I know that was an abrupt transition, but trust me, this will relate. Every summer I grow tomatoes, right? But one of my flaws as a gardener is I hate to prune them because, you know, every branch has a flower on it. And I think, oh, that flower is going to turn into the prize-winning tomato and I'll take it to the Puyallup Fair and they'll say, wow, what a big tomato. So I can't cut that branch. Problem is I do that with every branch. So all the plant's energy goes into generating leaves instead of producing fruit. And the result is the plants end up being like seven feet high, four feet wide, right? A mighty fortress are my tomatoes. But they're all leaf and no fruit or all hat and no cattle, as they say in Texas. And sometimes that's our lives. There are things we put a lot of energy into, but we're producing leaves, not fruit. And that's what the fig tree stands for. Text says that Jesus saw the fig tree by the road. He went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Now, normally, if a fig tree has leaves, it will also have fruit. That's just how fig trees roll. But this one is all leaf, no fruit. And it brings up an important principle in life. 
Never, con- con- never confuse leaves with fruit. Leaves look good. They can even be good things, but they're not God things. And they can get in the way. They can take up so much energy, we miss the abundant life Jesus wants to give us. And I'm not just talking about the bad things in our life, addictions, whatnot, that too. But I'm talking about things that look good. For instance, sometimes we spend a lot of, we work really hard to accumulate more money or more success at work or at school, right? So that people can say, my, what big leaves you have. And there's nothing wrong with money, nothing wrong with success, unless we are pursuing those things at the expense of connection with God, connection with others. You know, if we're stressed out about it all the time, then it's a leaf, it's not real fruit. Sometimes maybe we put too much energy into our kids and the result is our spouse ends up feeling abandoned. Maybe it's, it's an addiction to comfort and security. I know one couple, several couples actually, who are in deep debt because they were living in a safe suburban neighborhood, but then they moved to a more expensive house in a semi-gated community thinking it was even safer, but they couldn't afford it. So now they're deeply in debt. They don't feel any safer. Right? Leaf, not fruit. Sometimes it's an obsession with our looks or control or too many activities. All of those things take energy but they produce leaves, not real fruit. And sometimes the reason we invest in those things is because they look good, right? Success, money, all that looks good on the outside. And they can cover over some of our fears and insecurities and flaws. In fact, it's interesting that the tree Jesus blasts here is a fig tree. So the leaves were fig leaves. Any place else in scripture, fig leaves play a role? Right, Adam and Eve, they cover over their shame from disobeying God with fig leaves. And a lot of times we put a lot of energy into stuff that are just fig leaves. We're trying to look good to everyone else, but no real fruit. So when I use that word fruit, what do I mean by that? Well, it's a lot of things, but it at least means beach ball joy, that no matter what you're experiencing, even in hard times, you have this joy, it just keeps coming up. It's adventure rather than boredom because of how we partner with Jesus in his rescue mission. I think real fruit means deep connection with God that isn't just intellectual, but it feels real. It's great friendships and marriages, even marriages that are in trouble getting healed and whole, and so much more. Those are the things God wants to give us. So what are those things right now that are taking up tons of energy, but that aren't producing this kind of fruit in your life? The point of this story is Jesus does not come to prop up all our showy, leafy fruitlessness. Instead, he comes to take those things away so that we can grow, prune us back so that we can experience real life, real joy, real peace, real love, all of that stuff. That's why when he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the first thing he does is throw out the merchants out of the temple because they were blocking people from being able to come and worship God and connect to God. Plus, their religion had become nothing but kind of empty ritual, just going through the motions. You know, of all the things that take a lot of energy but don't yield fruit, religiosity is probably way at the top of the list. That's what's going on with these merchants. That's what's going on in the temple. Religion, and as I said before, Jesus hates religion. Religion is about rituals and rules and shrinking God down to what we can control rather than a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Religiosity takes tons of energy, but it doesn't yield any fruit. Or the fruit it yields is kind of nasty and tasteless and nobody really wants it. Again, sort of like tomatoes. See, I have this theory that people who say they don't like tomatoes have never had a real tomato. 
Because as you probably know, right, the ones you buy in the store are actually picked green and then they're sprayed with this gas that makes them turn red and then they're sold, but they're, they're really not ripe. That's why they taste so bad. But a real tomato, vine ripened, it's an amazing thing. Problem with religion is it teaches us to live kind of store-bought tomato kinds of lives. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe we come to church once a week to get gassed so, you know, we look ripe. But inside, we're just... Y'all are slow this morning. Like, there's this rippling, rolling kind of, oh, okay. But inside, we're still just kind of hard and bitter and tasteless. So Jesus blasts the fig tree as a symbolic gesture to show that he comes to get rid of anything that is fruitless in our lives, even maybe especially religiosity. That's what he means when he says, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. This verse always gets interpreted as faith can move mountains. You always hear that phrase. Faith can move mountains. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say you can move mountains. He says you can move this mountain. It's a particular mountain that he's referring to. Probably the temple mount that he's just come from, filled with all that empty religiosity, ritual, rules, all that stuff that takes energy doesn't yield fruit. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he can, he can set us free from all of those things, whether it's religion or too many activities or whatever it is, that too much energy, not enough fruit. And once those things are gone, then we experience his joy, his healing, his life, his transformation. In this story, after Jesus boots out the merchants, what's the first thing that happens? It says the blind and the lame came to him for healing in the temple. That had never happened before. Because the blind and the lame were considered unclean, so they couldn't come to the temple. But once Jesus removed all of that religiosity and all of that prejudice, then suddenly there was growth, there was life, there was newness and wholeness. So what are those things that are taking all kinds of energy but are not producing real fruit in your life? Will you cooperate with Jesus in getting rid of those things? So how do we do that? How do we cooperate with Jesus? And more importantly, how do we tell the difference between what's leaf and what's fruit? Because sometimes they look pretty good and sometimes our culture kind of mixes them up. Two things. First, to bear fruit, we have to stay connected to the vine, a.k.a. Jesus. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So to lead flavorful, fruitful lives, we need to attach to Jesus. And there are three ways in particular that we do this. I'll kind of use the abbreviation whoops, right? W-P-S, so maybe you can remember, worship, prayer, and scripture. Attach us to the vine. We connect to Jesus through worship. Especially if when we come here, we don't come to just passively receive, but come praying, Lord, I know you want to say something to me today, so help me to hear it. You know, maybe it's in a song, line from a song. Maybe it's the scripture. Maybe it's something someone says. Come praying that. Now, some of you say, that's fine, but Scott, sometimes, I just got to be honest, my mind wanders in worship. That's okay. Sometimes mine does too. Even when I'm preaching, which is just kind of weird, right? That's okay, right? Even if it wanders, even if it wanders during the sermon. Is it doing that right now? Okay. Even if it wanders during the sermon, that's okay. Jesus may want to say something to you where your mind is wandered. So just pray, Jesus, what do you want to say to me in this wandering? Because it's obviously not through Dudley today. So what do you want to say, right? Worship connects us to Jesus. A great chance to do that this week. Go to the Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services. Easter means so much more when you do those two services. Worship. Second way to connect to the vine, prayer. But real prayer. 
where we don't just talk at God, but where we actually stop and try to listen. There's a couple in this church who have three kids, and one day the wife said to the husband, gee, I'd kind of like to have a fourth child. I think I want four, four. And the husband said, no way. I mean, you know, we can't afford it. We're already too busy. No, 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 no. So she said, well, will you at least pray about it? So he bowed his head and he said, dear Lord, please help my wife not to want more kids. Amen. <laughs> there, I prayed about it. But now, real prayer is where we bring our request to God, but then also ask, Lord, is there something you want to say? And then when I do that, sometimes, not always, but sometimes when I do that, God speaks. Not audibly, but in thoughts that pop into my head or pictures or something like that. Prayer connects us to Jesus, and Jesus can help us figure out what's leaf and what's fruit. That's what Jesus is getting at, I think, when he says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That is a tough verse, right? Because in the words of the Rolling Stones, we don't always get what we want. So what does that mean? Well, you got to read Scripture in light of other Scripture, always. In another place, Jesus says something similar but a little different. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And name in Jesus' culture wasn't just name. It meant character or essence. So when we say in Jesus' name, amen, that's not a magic formula. That's not like hitting send on the email, right? It's, it, it, to ask something is to ask something in his character, his essence, according to his life and teaching. Or as 1 John puts it, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Real prayer is not to bend God to our will. Real prayer is not to bend God to our will. It's to release God's will in our lives. When Jesus marched into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, everyone expected him to do what they wanted, a.k.a. kick out the Romans. Instead, he did what we needed, paid the price for our sins on the cross so we could be reconciled to God. Real prayers to discover what God is doing in our lives and then moving in that direction. Worship, prayer, and then finally, Scripture can get Jesus' thoughts in our head, which helps us discern the difference between leaf and fruit. Worship, prayer, Scripture. To, to bear fruit, we need to connect to Jesus at least in those three ways. Which leads me to my second point that's already up there, and that is if we want to bear fruit, the second thing we have to do is pray this very dangerous prayer if you have the guts. Jesus, prune me. That's a dangerous prayer. But it's needed because any plant will not bear fruit unless it's pruned so its energy goes into making fruit, not leaves and branches. And in our lives, pruning can happen lots of ways. Sometimes we voluntarily get rid of something we know is just leaf taking up a lot of energy. But then sometimes the events of life just prune us, right? It's like in my garden. Sometimes the wind comes along, breaks a branch. I don't cause the wind, but I can use it to make the plant stronger. Sometimes stuff happens in our life, some of it bad. God doesn't cause that, but he can use it to make us stronger. So a good prayer to pray is, Lord, show me those things that are just leaves and help me get rid of them. And if I don't get rid of them, Lord, you take them away. That is a dangerous prayer, but needed. First year that I did college ministry, I was a stress case. I was at a church where success was measured by numbers. I'd inherited a very small group, and I wanted it to grow and grow so that I would look good. Lots of leaf, not a lot of fruit. Well, one of the things I did was to have a high-challenge mission trip to Ecuador, 12,000 feet up in the Andes, working in a very, very poor village. And my hope was, I'm not proud of this, but my hope was that that kind of trip would attract kind of outgoing students, the kind of students who would bring other people to the group and it would grow. So, lousy motives, but there you go. 
And it was a great trip, but on the flight back, the plane had mechanical problems, had to make an emergency landing in Panama City. And we waited in the airport for 12 hours. The students were getting restless, angry. And I was praying the whole time, Jesus, fix the plane, fix the plane. Come on, Jesus, fix the plane. You know, I wanted to go out onto the tarmac, be healed in Jesus' name, right? I was just, fix the plane, fix the plane. Finally, they told us, plane's not fixed, no flights out until tomorrow. So they sent us to a hotel for the night, a very nice hotel, actually. But the students were not happy. They were freaking out because the next day was supposed to be the first day of class at Stanford, and they were now going to miss it. Some of them were actually crying. One of them actually said to me, if I miss the first day, I'll be behind the rest of the quarter. I might end the quarter getting a B. <gasps> the horror. I don't know, right? But the problem was going on is this woman in her life, her parents literally expected her to become the first female president of the U.S. So other than that, no pressure, right? Leaves everywhere, no fruit. Other students were saying things like, this college group is lame, I hate it. I'd never bring anyone to this group. Almost all of them were mad at me for not having an extra buffer day in case something like this happened. So I had 25 people mad, yelling at me. To top all of it off, after we got to the hotel, even though I said, do not leave, Panama City is not safe, do not leave, three women decided to go out bar hopping at night on their own in Panama City. I was stressed, I was angry, and I was letting everybody know about it. Well, finally, the intern that was on my staff, he came up to me, he handed me something cold to drink, and he said, the pool is over there, the swimming pool's over there. Why don't you just go over there, get in the pool, relax, calm down. I'll keep the students away from you for about 30 minutes or so. Just calm down. I said, your job security is so high right now, it's amazing. So I did that, I calmed down. The three women that went bar hopping, they came back and they said, that was scary, we shouldn't have done that. No, duh, right? <laughs> finally, we got everyone to bed, okay? Finally, we got everyone to bed, everyone settled down. And then the intern said to me, Scott, do you think you represented Jesus very well today? <laughs> I said, remember that job security thing? Gone, gone. But I also realized he was right. So I switched my prayers from Jesus, fix the plane, or don't let them be mad at me, to Jesus, what do you want to do with this? And I realized this was a teachable moment for me and for them. So the next day, I spent some time both on the plane and then again during a layover, just talking to the students, apologized for my behavior, but also asked them some challenging questions like, why were you so freaked out about just missing one day of class? And I had some great conversations, particularly with the woman whose parents expected her to be president. And she said, you know, I think I'm just too concerned about getting my life perfect. And it's just wrecking me. For several weeks after we got back, I was able to debrief that trip with the student, tur students. It turned out that that one day in Panama City had more impact on them than the whole mission trip together as they kind of reflected on how they spent a week with people who didn't have enough to eat, but that their world falls apart because they had to spend a night in a five-star hotel. And that maybe, just maybe, something was wrong with that picture. Too much control, too much fear of failure, too much emphasis on success, not enough Jesus, not enough joy, not enough real adventure. All leaves, and good-looking leaves, successful Stanford students, blah, 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 but not real fruit. It was also a breakthrough for me. Because in that, I could just hear Jesus saying, Dudley, I never asked you to build a big ministry. I just asked you to be faithful to pastor these students. 
And I could just feel Jesus pruning away some stuff in my life, pruning away some of my concern about my image, my reputation, my fixation on success. And as he pruned those things back, they're not gone, but pruned them back, I could feel more joy, better relationships with Jesus, with the students, more peace. Turning point for me, it was also a turning point in the ministry because the students did tell their friends about the ministry, not because they had fun, because they didn't, but because they'd grown and they'd experienced Jesus and they'd learned something. So what are the things in your life that are taking up a lot of energy but not yielding any fruit? Will you connect to Jesus and worship, prayer, and scripture and ask him to prune away anything that isn't going to lead to real life so that you can bear real fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Adventure as you partner with Jesus. Great friendships, strong marriages because of how we are connected to Jesus, the true vine who can help us live fruitful, vine-ripened lives, not nasty, tasteless, bitter lives that you buy in a store, but Jesus' life bubbling up inside of us for the whole world to see. So Jesus asked that you would please help us to do that. Help us to follow you, be attached to you. Lord, show us what's leaf and show us what's fruit. Help us to know the difference so that we can live the life you came to give us. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.